Welcome back to the program. Don't forget, top of the hour, Minnesota Wild General Manager Bill Guerin will be aboard. We'll talk about the Kevin Fiala trade yesterday. Why that was a move they just had to make, as Guerin mentioned yesterday. If I didn't make that move, I would have had to trade three other players. We all remember the relationship going back to Milwaukee between Dean Evanson and Kevin Fiala. Although, you know, one of the uh, one of the best batteries we saw all season long between players, Matthew Boldy and Kevin Fiala, were exceptional together. Nonetheless, now the question becomes, uh, who does Kevin Fiala play with in Los Angeles? Does he play with Dano or does he play with Kopitar? Oh, the problems. Oh, the problems they have. Nice to have those kinds of problems. Uh, meantime, no problem for Aaron Ambrose. What a season it's been for her, culminating in a gold medal in Beijing. Uh, and now a big reward is talking to me. Uh, Aaron Ambrose joins me now. How you doing, Aaron? I am doing well. No problems here. Heading north for the long weekend. Nice. Is this uh, is this family time? Is this fun time? Is this a combination of both? This is a combination of both. Nothing better than going to the lake, and especially on a day like Canada Day. Do you? Let me ask you this. Do you take your gold medal everywhere you go now, just assuming that people are going to want pictures with it? Well, Jeff, I'm not going to lie. I did run back in to get the medal today <laughs> on my way out. Um, but I try not to bring it with me everywhere because it's usually pretty heavy and my neck hurts by the end of it, even if I'm not wearing it. It's, uh, yeah. It is a little heavier, but not a bad problem to have. No, I was going to say on the, uh, I mean, you want to talk about first world problems. That's first world hockey problems. Oh, my gold medal is too heavy around my neck. Will someone please think of the champions, please? Will someone please think of the champions? Um, Okay, so I've made this point everywhere this season, I think, and I think I've made it to you. I don't think I've ever seen a Team Canada perform like that before. Male, female, animal, vegetable, doesn't matter. I've never seen... I've never seen a Team Canada do what your squad did. At uh, at what point, Aaron, did you realize that this was a really special team? Like from an from an outsider point of view, I have my moment. I'm curious if it if it syncs up with yours. Like at what moment did you say, "Hey, we've got some really special here"? Well, just so I disagree with you, I would say that I knew that we had a special group. Uh, before Worlds back in August. So before we beat the U.S. at the World Championships in Calgary, um, we had kind of like a a pre-camp tryout. And I think just the way that our group, like we ended up beating 25 players to the COVID and the way that our group was just united with the 25, but then also the players that didn't make it, so it was 28. Um, I think just with that group alone, um, it just started out everything so well. And then I'm going to say that you probably think the Russia game or the round-robin no. game again. No. Oh. No. Wow. Okay, I'm wrong. Tell me tell me yours then. My, mine was um, at the World Championships um, when Marie-Philippe Poulain was out and you guys still dominated. Yes. That was the moment that I said, this isn't like... Marie Philippe Plans is, like, I've told you before, like, we've had this conversation, the clutchiest player that ever clutched. And it wasn't as if, like, we've seen teams like this before. We've seen this with Edmonton. Not so much the past couple of seasons, but before, where there's this feeling that if Connor's not going, we can't do this. That, you know, when yeah. the chips are down, everyone just looks to Connor. And I said, this isn't a team that just looks to Marie Philippe Poulain, that just looks at the GOAT and says, save us, do something, make us win. Um, to me, the and it's, and it's interesting because she's the greatest player of all time. Um, when you guys were able to do it and still be dominant without Marie-Philippe Poulin, I said, this is a really special team. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, and I hate to say that to you, but I, I that, agree. That game gave us all the confidence, and especially as a group that I think, like, yeah, we were performing well and winning rivalry series, but we our last medal that we had at a world championship was a bronze medal. And mm-hmm. it's like, then we come out and we do that with the, against the U S at that world championship. And, um, there was no doubt that there was something starting that was very special. Um, since the gold medal and since coming back two things I'm, I'm wondering about one, how has your life changed? And two, is there any major, or even minor for that matter, 
sporting event in Canada that you haven't been at? Whether it's baseball games, whether it's outdoor games, whether it's F1, uh, you know, just go look at Erin's Instagram. She's been everywhere. Has there been one that you've missed yet, Ambrose? Um, game seven of the Leafs uh, round one. I would say that's one yep. that I did miss. Um, <laughs> I did get to Raptors playoff game, so that was actually a very nice surprise, which I didn't think I was going to get to, but... I would say that it's been pretty fortunate and pretty special to go to a lot of these events, either with teammates or other people in my life. And I think the way that things have changed, as much as I want them to stay the same, um, I don't want a lot in my life to change, even though I am an Olympic gold medalist now. I think just the ability to have uh, just more interaction within the community and within the sporting world. Um, I think it's pretty special to be able to go places and have interactions that um, we're getting more and more recognition as female hockey players, and that's something I'm very thankful for. And um, for me to go to the women's soccer game last Sunday and to have a little girl come up to me, like that's the stuff that means the most to me. So uh, I would say a lot has changed, but a lot has stayed the same at the same time. You know, I can recall, and it wasn't that long ago, going to uh, to Aaron Ambrose Day, uh, just up a, a little bit north of, of where I live in, in Keswick, and um, just seeing all the, the the looks on the little girls' faces when you came out, and then the lineup for for autographs. I'm always curious about the conversations, like like what what are what are like little girls like talking to you about, saying to you. Um, I would, would imagine a lot of it is, you know, inspiration and, you know, you're my hockey hero. What are those conversations like for you? They're special. I think the best part, Jeff, is that, like I said, they they feel like they can talk to me. I'm not just, um, I'm obviously somebody they look up to, but it's nice to be able to have conversations and actually get to know kids if it's a minute conversation or if it's a 15 minute or an all day camp um i think just having the opportunity to to see more and more girls involved in hockey is what means the most and for us as a group i think we all get the question of when are they going to see us play next and where are we playing next and i think that that's the hardest thing is not having that answer for them at the moment um but Mm -hmm. knowing that it will come and and even more so knowing that what we do have and when we do have an answer for them it's going to be even better for them uh for when they want to play did you i'm curious about this um did you have your own aaron ambrose when you were a kid or was it always someone from the nhl that was your hockey inspiration Well, as I am reminiscing and actually driving through Keswick at the moment, um, I will say that my Erin Ambrose was Jen Botterill. She came to my school. She came to W.J. Watson Public School in Keswick, Ontario. And I remember the day so well. And I think it's for exactly those reasons, just the personality and just being so personable and knowing that she had that interaction with me made me want to watch her and get to see her and watch her play and see what she does. And it's still the same for me, um, even now with what she does with Sportsnet. Um, that's something that I love watching and I love seeing her do what she does because that's also something that I want to follow in her footsteps doing. And it's nice that I have somebody that now I know personally and I I can watch and learn from, um, as she goes through her career post-hockey career as well. Mm-hmm. You know, there was, um, we saw, you know, Hockey Hall of Fame uh, uh, class of uh, 2022 um, get revealed the other day. And, you know, Roberto Luongo uh, is on it, Daniel Alfredson, uh, the Sedins certainly as well. And I think a lot of people were, were wondering... Um, and listen, Salonen gets in there, you know, one of, if maybe not, you know, the best you know, Euro- European female hockey player that we've seen uh, from Finland. I think a lot of us were wondering about, you know, Jennifer Botterill. I think a lot of us were wondering about Carolyn Moulet as well. Um, how much do you pay attention to how much the Hall of Fame is recognizing women? 
Uh, again, Jeff, you are nailing it because I was right, or I was I was right in tune with it. Um, it was a conversation for us as a group actually before one of our skates this week. Um, you said Caro, you said Boss, um, but I think we also have to look south of the border too. Julie Chu is right in. Megan Duggan should be in. And I read an article. It was actually a Haley, Haley Salvian article, and I can't not shout out Haley, but she's great. Uh, she is. She's phenomenal, and she does such a good job covering us. But there's going to be such a backlog, and I think that we need to continue to push as women that there is just one person to check the box and fill a female spot. Like, we have two spots available. Why are we not doing this? And Haley mentioned, it's not like the Sedines wouldn't have gotten in. They, we don't take away from those spots. So knowing that, there's no reason that two females shouldn't have been in because there is going to be a backlog. You look mm-hmm. at the players that be retiring in the next few years, and there's a long list of female hockey players that have a lot of success in both international careers uh, as well as NCAA careers and pro careers. And the lists are just going to continue. And this is more about us getting as hockey players. And Haley said it again. It's it's not the NHL Hall of Fame. It's the Hockey Hall of Fame. Yep. For a lot of the guys, too. Somebody like McGillney continues to get overlooked. And I think it's just a matter of time before we can get to that point. But um, I not going to be the first to say it and I'm not going to be the last to say it but there should be two women going in this year and it's unfortunate although you said I'm great I'm grateful that Salonen's getting in she is one of the best I'm fortunate to have played against her but there's also a lot of other players that should be getting in there this year absolutely um what was your reaction when you saw Marie-Philippe Poulin get the Montreal Canadiens gig pure elation for her um Eric Angles called me for an interview to talk about Marie and uh, I felt bad because I felt like I talked to Zero for 45 minutes about Pooh and Mm. I would do that again on radio today but I know you have more important things and more important people to talk to on your last show of the year but um, (laughs) Pooh just does everything so well she deserves this job I know that it's been something that Montreal's wanted for a very long time and rightfully so um, but their organization just got a heck of a lot better, and I'm extremely proud of her and extremely excited to see how she does with it and where she goes from there. Uh, let me conclude in the couple of minutes that I have left with you. I'm speaking with Aaron Ambrose of the uh, gold medal winning Canadian national team. Um, what's your summer like? What's your training like? Um, I know that uh, sometimes a gold medal can be, you know, overwhelming because it is life-changing. Um, how do you balance everything right now, Aaron? That is a loaded question, Jeffrey Merrick. Hmm. Um, I think exactly what I'm doing now, you take the weekends when you can to get away and disconnect and not have your life any different than it was before the Olympics. Um, but at the same time, I do have a right now. Um, and I'm fortunate to be able to do that, that I have opportunities to interact with more people, get out there and do events more often, and I hope to continue doing that. Um, our training group's phenomenal here in Toronto, uh, working with Dan Noble, and that's something that we're all extremely thankful for, but I think just being back in the routine of training, skating with the girls, and um, preparing for another world championship, and hopefully bringing back another gold medal. That's the thing. Keep gobbling them up, Pac-Man style, right? Uh, the only thing better Absolutely. than one is two. The only thing better than two is three. Uh, this has been great. Listen, what a year it's been for you uh, and your teammates and, and everybody involved in your program. Uh, enjoy uh, enjoy the, uh, the relaxation up north, uh, dipping your toes in various lakes and taking photographs with your gold medal. Uh, all very well deserved. Uh, let's catch up soon, you, okay? Thank you very much, Jeff, and congrats on another great season on your radio show as well. It beats working for a living, Aaron. It beats working for a living. Thanks. You have a great weekend. Thank you. Bye. There she is, uh, Aaron Ambrose uh, from the uh, gold medal uh, Team Canada squad in Beijing, which were just such a dominant 
hockey team. Like there wasn't like normally in tournaments like that, there's usually there's there's one game where a non either Canadian or American team gives either Canada or the United States a real scare. And usually it happens for Canada. Like there's a scare against Finland, usually. And then there's always the scares against the United States because, let's face it, the United States is awesome. What a program they've put together and they continue to crank out elite athlete after elite athlete as they spend a lot of money uh, on those programs and the facilities, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't know that I, you know, Coming off of Pyeongchang, I never thought that I was going to see a Canadian team outskate. I never thought that I was going to see a Canadian team outskate the Americans, but they did. It was a remarkable tournament uh, for the Canadian women. And uh, thanks to Erin Ambrose for stopping by the program. Uh, I wanted to make sure that I got her on. She's one of my favorite athletes, one of my favorite people as well. Wanted to make sure that I got her on the last program of the season. Uh, Bill Guerin is the general manager of the Minnesota Wild. We'll get on the Kevin Fiala page here in a couple of moments. Merrick Show continues final hour across the Sportsnet Radio Network in moments. Breaking down everything in Leafsland better than anyone. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to the program. Welcome to Hour 2. We are uh, standing by for Minnesota Wild General Manager Bill Guerin. We yesterday pulled the trigger on a, uh, on a big deal. One that we all thought was coming. I don't think it's any surprise to see that Kevin Fiala was traded. We've been talking about it all season long. I mean, every time that... I always feel bad for Mike Russo because he knows there's always going to be one very specific question in every interview that he does. Mike Russo, if you don't know, covers the Minnesota Wild for The Athletic and is one of the most thorough beat writers you will meet anywhere. Uh, he covers that team from pillar to post, from stem to stern, all of it. Anyway, he knows that in every interview, in every a single interview he does... And I'm no exception because you have to ask it. You had to ask the Kevin Fiala question, and I'm sure he answered it more times than he would have liked. And now that question has been answered. Fiala is now a member of the Los Angeles Kings. Minnesota Wild General Manager Bill Guerin joins me now. Bill, how are you today? Thanks so much for doing this. I'm good, Jeff. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Uh, the pleasure is all mine. You know, I was just uh, – actually, before you came on, I was just talking about Mike Russo and how, you know, every single interview he's done all season long is, uh, you know, and no matter what the conversation – the conversation can be about, you know, Felino Eck, and the Selkie. Uh, the c- conversation could be about Marc-Andre Fleury. And somewhere in the interview, someone – and I'm guilty of it too – will ask about Kevin Fiala. And now we finally got the, uh, the answer. <laughs> um, I, I, am, I am curious, uh, how big a marketplace – like, I know you're not going to get into specifics if you want to, by all means, but, I mean, how big a marketplace was there for Fiala? Uh, yeah, that, that's really a, a tough one to answer without, like, really, I don't know, giving out too much information, to be honest with you. But I, I will say this, the Kings the Kings were by by far the most interested and, and really, uh, you know, put their best foot forward right away. And it was great dealing with Blakey and, and – um, you know, it, it was a it was a good negotiation, and and you know, I think it's a fair deal that that both teams are are really happy with. And you know, even though it's tough to to get rid of a player like like Kevin Fiala, um, mm-hmm. we feel we got uh, you know a fair return. You know, I know there are like I think of Tampa right now, and they're trying to probably figure out a way that they can they can keep uh, Andre Palat specifically. And I know the situation is different; Palat's an unrestricted free agent. But as as you went through the season, and you saw uh, Fiala producing, I mean, how many times did you, you know, all right, back to the office, uh, let's fire up the computer again, let's let's see how we can if there's any way that we can make it work. Like, were there? Were there a number of times you kind of said you kind of said to yourself, "We got to figure out a way to keep this guy." Yeah, there definitely were, and um, you know, I, I can't even tell you how many times we went over it. Um, but in the end, you know, you, you you really you can't just keep one guy and 
you know, decimate the rest of the team. It just, it, it, w- it would have taken away all our depth, um, you know, something that we've worked hard to, to establish, and we, we feel it's one of our strengths. Um, and, you know, we, we do, you know, hey, look, we, we've, our, our world is, is, you know, one with these uh, severe empty cap hits, and, and, you know, that's our decision. That's, that's, that's our problem. Nobody's crying for us, but, you know, that's our world. So we, we have to make tough decisions in, in our new world. Uh, how crucial was, because listen, he's in your backyard, he's a, he's a, a gopher, uh, how crucial was getting Brock Faber in all of this? I mean, the first rounder, I would imagine that's, that's going to be standard in this one. Uh, how crucial was getting Faber? Uh, very, uh, extremely crucial. He's just a, he's a, he's a player that, um, that, uh, our entire staff was in favor of and, um, you know, w- without him, it, it would have been very tough to do the deal. Um, even though the Kings have done a great job, you know, with with their prospect pool, but he was mm-hmm. he was the guy that that we really wanted. What can you tell us about him? For I mean, he's not uh, an, a household NHL name yet. Certainly amongst prospect circles, he is. But for our listeners, what can you tell us about him? No, I mean, you know, he's he's going to finish out uh, or play this year at University of Minnesota, which we're in favor of and we, we support. Um, it's a good program. He's an elite skater, elite defender, high character. Uh, he plays hard. Um, you know, he's not he's not one of these guys that's six four or anything like that, but he's a solid six one, two hundred pounds, and um, you know, he 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 defends first. Um, but he does it with, with skating. It's not like he doesn't have any offensive ability, but I think when, when you look at that, it's probably going to be, you know, you know, getting, helping us get out of our own end, uh, quicker. You know, I'm, I I am curious about, uh, about the university of Minnesota as well. Like this is going to be a a really good team, whether it's Matthew Nyes and Logan Cooley and, you know, your guy Brock Faber here. Um, does that, does that factor in in your decision at all? Like, if it were if it were a, a different uh, a different uh, college team that he were playing for, would it be more desirous to to have him come out, or do you look at this and say Minnesota's going to have a great run? They're going to have an elite team next season. It's better for his development if he's a gopher for another year. Yeah, I, I think that's the biggest thing is that we were, you know, I I, I know Bob Motzko really well. I, I've I've known him since he was at St. Cloud and. Uh, for a number of years, and I I really trust what what he does and how he develops young players, and the fact that they have a, a chance to go on another long run um, is important because you, you want your young players playing in meaningful games, important games, because that that's how you just get used to the pressure, and I, I think that's just one of the reasons we really support him going back, and uh, you know hopefully they can make a run at uh, a national championship. Uh, with Bill Guerin, general manager of the Minnesota Wild, yesterday pulling the trigger on the Kevin Fiala deal. He's now a member of the Los Angeles Kings. And uh, like we all understand, and you referenced it, um, you know, the cap space situation with the Minnesota Wild. We knew that, uh, you know, your team had to at least dip its toe into the, the as we call it, the green banana business, start looking at, at picks and prospects um, because uh, you're, you're going to get capped out here. Um, I, I am I am curious uh, from your chair because it's a really unique one that, that Minnesota finds itself in. Um, how how noisy is it out there right now? I always know like leading into the the, the first day of the draft, there's a, a lot of chatter and you know everyone's saying, oh, Minnesota got the ball rolling with the with the Fiala deal. Um, do you find that it's a, a really busy time? Uh, whether it's teams kicking tires or just making their obligatory phone calls, how how noisy is it around your team right now? Um, it's not too bad, um, especially you know. Well, today's very quiet um, <laughs> because that, that was the biggest thing teams are calling about. So yeah, it's uh, you know like I it, it has been pretty busy. There's been a pretty co- constant flow of. Uh, of phone calls and chatter, but uh, like I said, I, I would imagine it being pretty quiet for the next couple of days before we head into the draft. And uh, yeah, that's that's kind of it. And two picks in the first round now for the Minnesota Wild. Uh, I'm curious about some of the voting. 
that came out, uh, whether it's Karel Kaprizov for the heart, whether it's Joel Eriksson and Marcus Foligno for the Selkie, you know, both got both got uh, got votes uh, for that trophy as well. Uh, do you have a thought on on any of these three and the trophies that were they were up for? I mean, I think I had Kaprizov fourth on my on my heart, and Foligno, I think I had third uh, for my Selkie. Do you have a thought on these three and where they fit into some of the trophy voting? Well, I think they they're well deserving of those votes, and I think you know all three of them have the capability to uh, eventually eventually win those trophies. Um, you know, I, I don't think you can ever uh, you know question how important Kirill Kaprizov is to our team, um, and and you know what he did for us last year, and I think he'll continue to do it. And the other two guys are just. They're so solid on both sides of the puck, you know, with their penalty killing, you know, Eki being a center, and they always get the tough matchups. Um, you know, I guess it's just uh, it's tough when there's a guy like Patrice Bergeron in the face-off circle always winning it. <laughs> Yeah, he's uh, he's 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 pretty. I mean, it's always more challenging for a winger to, to me. I, I understand the responsibilities are different, but you know, I always, I mean, listen, you know, Marion Hosa. I always wondered, you know, what's it going to take for Hosa to ever get a Selkie? You know, I I wonder, you know, Mark Stone with with Vegas, and I wonder about your guy, Marcus Foligno. Like, what's it going to take? I mean. The trophy was essentially created for a winger in Bob Gainey. The last winger to win it was Yuri Lettinen. Um Your guy is very much in consideration for the Selkie. Again, I know the responsibilities are different, but in your mind, Bill, like what does a what does a winger need to do to distinguish himself for the Selkie? Yeah, that's a really good question, and, and um, you know, I, I laugh all the time now because in our meetings if there's a player that's struggling or if a defenseman's struggling or whatever, uh, you know, a young center, everybody says, well, we can always just put him on the wing. Well, we can always just put him on the wing. And I'm like, you know, I was a winger and I thought it was really hard. Like, it's just kind of like, it's like, I'm like, what the heck is going on here? Like, you know, I thought wing was really hard in the defensive zone. It really was. But I, I just think the, I just think the premium that they put on the center position nowadays is, I mean, it always, you know, it's such a premium position, but, you know, I, I think if Marcus continues to, to do what he does and build off of that, uh, I mean, there's no, there's no question that he should be in, in the mix every year. Uh, thoughts on Matthew Boldy? Um, I should have included him in some uh, some some trophy love because there were some people that that looked at him for the Calder as well, or maybe not winning the Calder, but you know, as as part of the voting. Um, expectations for Boldy next season, and what's the ceiling for this guy? Oh man, the ceiling's pretty high. I, I, I mean, I, I'm a big believer in him. I, I think as he he grows into his body, gets bigger and stronger. Um, you know, his hockey sense and his skill, he's, he's an elite thinker um, and, and playmaker. He, he's just, uh, he's got an incredible future ahead of him. You know, I think the, the biggest thing now is for Matt to prepare for a season where he doesn't come in as a secret. Um, mm. You know, he, he just took, he kind of took the league by storm and yeah. played so well that everybody knows who he is now. And he's going to have to be ready for that. You know, I, I think that's one thing that young players they come in and oh wow this kid's this kid's pretty good but like now everybody knows how good he can be if you give him time and space so he's going to have to be ready for that but you know uh, he, he's got a he's got a good future ahead of him. Uh, you knew you were getting a Kevin Fiala question, and you probably wonder if you're going to get a Mark Andre Fleury question as well. Uh, any chance <laughs> we see we see Fleury back with the Wild? Yeah, I, I hope so. You know, I've been pretty open with my desire to, uh, to have flower back. Um, I, I, you know, I, I really think, uh, I really thought him and cam were a good tandem and, and worked well together. You know, they're two, two veteran guys that, that understand the business side of it and, and what we're trying to do. And, um, and I thought flower played fantastic for us. And I, I think, like I said, him and cam would be a, a, a great duo. Um, Listen, you've been around the game for a long time and you know as well as anybody else certainly in your position that when a team is successful, 
there tends to be a ripple effect. And you know, we saw this going back to, I'll just focus on the salary cap era, Carolina coming out of the lockout to where they went in 2006. And everything's about foot speed, foot speed. The next year, Anaheim wins, and it's about tough, rugged, heavy hockey. Uh, do you think that there will be a, a Colorado effect around the NHL? Like, I know that n- not every team can just go out there and say, yeah, we got to get a Kale McCarr. Like, the, these yeah, players don't, exactly. don't, don't exist. Uh, they, they, don't, they don't exist. But is there anything that you look at maybe with what Colorado was able to do that you say, okay, you know what? This is going to be the effect that Colorado has now had on the NHL. Well, I, I kind of think you, you're right in what you, you said. It, it's real. I think Colorado is one of these things because it, it's just it's a stranger one or a tougher one because because Kale McCarr just had such an incredible impact on that team. They're yeah. good anyways, but when you add him, it it really took their team to a different level. And he's just such an X factor. I mean, they're they're a really well built team. Um, I really liked the final because you got a look at two teams that were built through the draft and developed, and they're all you know. And then the GMs made some some really great moves to kind of cap it off. But boy, it, it, it's uh, you know their their speed and their their aggressiveness was uh, was was really fun to watch, and it'll be tough to match, but. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, we are a copycat league. We kind of go in, in you know, a couple of year trends. Mm-hmm. You know, you've been um, you've been part of a lot of uh, successful organizations, uh, and you've seen a lot in your time. And I think we all, in a kind of weird way, I, I imagine, Bill, like we're all we always sort of look forward to the day where all the injuries get revealed. Uh, a lot of them can be gruesome. I think we've all seen the picture of you know uh, Nachushkin's foot uh, by now. I'm, I'm just curious, like go back, going back in, into your history, and you know maybe you have one from your own experience. Was there a an injury that you saw that a player played through in the playoffs that you just shook your head and you say, I don't know how this guy is doing it. Like maybe he can't even raise his arms to put his jersey on, or he you know he can't. He can't walk, but you get him into a into a boot and he can skate. Is there something from your past, Bill, that you look at and you say, I still can't figure out how this guy was able to play? You, you know what, Jeff? There's so many of them, to be honest with you. It, it's really tough to pinpoint one, but as, as, I, as I retired and got into player development and kind of was around the team in the playoffs a little bit more, even in Wilkes-Barre, like – when the American league team was going through the playoffs and I saw kind of from an outside looking in now, uh, uh, angle of, of what guys went through to win, even just one round, never mind going four rounds and winning a championship, how it, how it just wears on your body. And yeah, like that Nechuskin injury was, was, that's brutal. I mean, yeah. you can't even wear a shoe, but you're going to put yourself in a skate, and, <laughs> um, you know, maybe help, maybe take something to take the edge off or, you know, guys have bad shoulders, they have broken hands. Or, and that's, I think that's why the, why the Stanley cup is so special and the greatest trophy in all of sports is that I, I don't, I mean, you know, football, they play through a lot as well, but it's just what guys, I, I just, I couldn't believe that I did that at one time. It's, it was just, you know, it's just, it's a special, it's a special thing about a hockey player. And, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm proud to be in that fraternity. It's a, it's a tough game, man. It is like, I full respect to football players and I hate to do the, oh, my sport's better than your sport thing. Football players, you know, play once a week. Hockey players in the playoffs are doing it every second game and they're going at each other like, like battering Rams and, I don't know. I I think it's I, I think it's in. I, I agree. What these guys, what these I, guys play through, it's remarkable. I hate to do the my sports better than your sport, also, but our sport is better than their sport, and so our trophy's <laughs> the best one out there too. There's no denying that. There's no denying that. <laughs> I'm with you, uh, Bill. I'm with you. Let me yeah. uh, let let me close on on asking you about one of my favorite players in the NHL. Whenever anybody asks me who I think the most underrated player in the NHL is, I always say Jonas Brodeen of the Minnesota Wild. I don't know anyone that skates backwards better than Jonas Brodeen does. Uh, have you ever seen, and because you played for a long time and you've seen a lot, anyone skate 
backwards as well as Jonas Brodeen? No, I, I honestly I haven't. I haven't seen. Uh, you know, he he can he can gap up with with the McKinnons and the McDavid's and guys like that. That's why he's so special. I I, I do. Uh, I've said it before. I, I think defensively, he's he's a top five defenseman in the league. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, he doesn't have the offensive side that like you know a Headman or uh, you know a Dowdy or of course McCarr. Um, the you know the the. The guys that are winning Norris trophies, he doesn't have that offensive side to his game. Um, if he did, he'd be in the mix with them because he defends as well as anybody. He's uh, he's outstanding. Listen, uh, congratulations on the Fiala deal. Um, best of luck at the draft in Montreal next week. We will see you there. And uh, when you finally get to it, I know your window for probably enjoying the summer is about a week and a half, maybe two weeks. But nonetheless, when you get there, uh, enjoy it, Bill. We'll see you in Montreal next week. Thanks. We'll see you up there, buddy. Have a good one. There he is. Uh, Bill Guerin, the general manager of the Minnesota Wild, yesterday pulling the trigger on the Kevin Fiala deal, uh, which many think will sort of start to get the ball rolling here. Like, I know it's um, like it's tough, right? It's, it's always tough to do deals in a, in a salary cap NHL. This has been the lesson going back to the 0405 lockout. However, it's even more challenging to make deals when it's not just the salary cap universe you're dealing with, but a flat salary cap universe. And I know I've been banging this drum here for a while, um, but it really is the reason why a lot of things don't end up happening. So many of these deals need to be, you know, money in, money out. This particular situation with Kevin Fiala, we all know because of the uh, of the buyouts um, that uh, you know to, to Zach Parise and, and Ryan Suter that uh, that there is a limited amount of cap space, more limited than other teams uh, that the Minnesota Wild have, and there was just no way they were going to keep Kevin Fiala and still keep this team intact. Uh, as Garen just mentioned to us, you know that would have decimated all of their depth. I would imagine, too, that uh, they would have probably have had to move at least one of their defensemen. And I know we always circle back on Matt Dumba. How many times have we had the conversation? Oh, Matt Dumba's going to get traded. Like how many, honestly, how many times, and we saw this with the, um, with the, uh, the Vegas expansion draft. Oh, they're going to lose Matt Dumba going away. How many times have you heard that Matt Dumba's getting traded? For the longest time it was, um, what was the deal? Matt Dumba for Ryan Nugent Hopkins. How many times did you hear that one? We all did. And I'm sure it was probably discussed. Um, I know we always circle back to, to Matt Dumba, but it would have been something of that magnitude. Getting rid of, you know, one of your key pieces and some of your depth as well. And it probably, I would imagine, and I probably should have asked Bill this, it was probably a situation where you, you, if, you, if you keep Kevin Fiala, you sign him to the extension, it solves one problem, but it creates another problem somewhere else and maybe two problems or, as Garen mentioned yesterday and here a couple of moments ago, maybe three. Maybe three problems and you say to yourself, okay, is that worth it? Or do we have other people that can slide into roles? You know, Matthew Boldy is uh, an obvious example. Is he ready to take that next step? Having said that, uh, when Boldy and Fiala were on the ice together, it was awesome. They were they were fantastic together. Um, but, you know, uh, Matthew Boldy taking that next step, I think, can mitigate a lot of things. I know that it's going to be challenging, really challenging for the Minnesota Wild for the next few seasons. When you look at, you know, what the cap hits are, for a Parisian suitor for the next three years. So next year, oh, this is a killer from the buyouts. And they knew this going in. This is why we talked about this is a bold move by the Minnesota Wild. This is a bold move by Bill Guerin. Both Parisian suitor, the buyouts are 6.3, almost $6.4 million each next season. The two seasons after that, $7.3 million each. So for the next three seasons, next three seasons for the Minnesota Wild, take, take 14 at times almost $15 million off your salary cap and then work your team. You want to talk about remaining competitive in a really competitive division where 
the Colorado Avalanche from your division just won the Stanley Cup. And the St. Louis Blues are not going anywhere. You want to remain competitive in that tough central. You've just really handicapped yourselves for the next three seasons. But I don't think Minnesota was looking at it. I think they were looking at it like, let's not be penny wise and pound foolish here. Let's look long term. And I think right now the idea is try to do the best you can for the next three seasons and then see what you can get to. Like you start to, it's almost as if you're the general manager. You start to build a team for 25, 26 when those cap hits go down to $800,000. What a drop, eh? From 7 million to 800,000 per player. I like Minnesota. I like the way Minnesota plays. I don't know that there's anyone in the NHL who, like, there's a couple of, like, when you just look at the definition of the Hart Trophy, what Shishurkin did with the Rangers, what did he add? Like, individually added between 20 and 30 points of their bottom line. That's why I had Shishurkin number one. I also had Matthews in there and Connor McDavid and I think I think I had Kaprizov at four, and I could have made the argument, anyone can make the argument, that he should be higher. Just by definition of the Hart Trophy, most valuable to his team. Is there anyone on this Minnesota Wild roster that completely changed the complexion of the team? Not just the performance, but how they played and how they're perceived around the NHL, more so than Kirill Kaprizov? Not a chance. They became a real fun team to watch. And I still like watching the Minnesota Wild. I'm a big fan of Joel Erickson Eck. I'm a big fan of uh, Matt Zuccarello, Marcus Foligno. I just mentioned how much I love watching Jonas Brodin. Find me a better backwards skater. I'll wait. You can't. Now, the goaltending is going to be a situation for that team. We understand that. Depth may be an issue. We understand that as well. Um, but this is still a team that is going to compete every single night and that's the way Bill Guerin is constructing this thing. Anyhow, thanks to Bill Guerin for stopping by. Thanks to the Minnesota Wild organization uh, for making him available. want to hit a quick pause here uh, a little bit earlier before the bottom of the hour. Uh, when we come back, we'll, uh, we'll kind of go through we'll kind of go through the year in review. Look back uh, on this year around the NHL, around international hockey as well. Uh, maybe look back on some of our favorite interviews, some of our pe- favorite people that we've had on the program. As if you missed the, if you missed it earlier on in the program, this is the last show of the season. Uh, I still have the draft to do next week in free agency, and then after that, I'm just a rumor. Uh, recapping the season here in a couple of moments with uh, our producer Matt Marchese. Merrick show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the program. 30 minutes left in the uh, the show for the season. Thanks, as always, for stopping by. Thanks for uh, making this part of your day, either live on the radio or in podcast format. Really appreciate it. Uh, a couple of things here. Uh, Renaud Lavoie reporting that he is, quote-unquote, hearing Elaine Nezredine will join the Dallas Stars. He will become an assistant to Peter DeBoer. Uh, so that is one bit of information as we start to round out coaching staffs here. The other thing is the Ottawa Senators uh, released this uh, about 20 minutes ago. The uh, Sens announcing uh, they've hired two assistant general managers. So Chief Amateur Scout Trent Mann. Man, has he been good for this organization. Trent Mann has been outstanding uh, for the Ottawa Senators. And Ryan Bonus, who was the uh, Director of Professional Scouting, uh, with the Penguins, have both been named assistant general managers of the Ottawa Senators. Uh, Pierre Dorian, of course, a general manager there. So Trent Mann and Ryan Bonus become assistant general managers with the Ottawa Senators as we bring in Matt Marchese, our producer. Matt, we got about 30 minutes here left in the program. Um, first of all, let me, ask, let me ask you about this Ottawa situation. So this yeah. is an interesting one, and... You know, maybe a little bit hasty talking last season about, you know, the rebuild is done and now we're all about wins and all that and out of the green banana business, etc. Um, I think they are ready to take uh, another step 
They'll draft seventh overall at the draft. I would imagine teams that are sort of in that neighborhood are probably making their pick instead of trading their pick, but we'll see. Um, this is a team that, you know, you look last year, they took uh, Tyler Boucher from BU, the power forward, now playing with the Ottawa 67s. He left BU to do that. Um, and if you look at their, you know, their prospect depth chart, whether it's Shane Pinto, which uh, we all who we all expect to be playing with the Ottawa Senators next season, uh, Ridley Gregg was a first round draft pick in 2020. Uh, I think we all expect to see Jake Sanderson on the blue line for Ottawa next season. Lassie Thompson as well, who you know even in surprise auditions like looked good um, for Ottawa. Jacob Bernard Docker. I think it's his birthday today. Uh, Jacob Bernard Docker is a first rounder they'll have on the back end. Tyler Clevin, they took in the seventh in 2020. You know, we look at what uh, what Trent Mann's been able to put together by way of the draft, and that's to say nothing of you know the the Tim Stutzla, uh, who many still maintain should have been the first overall draft pick that year. Um, it's pretty impressive. Where is Matty Marchese at on the Ottawa Senators right now? Yeah, they as someone who. Uh, openly cheers for the Toronto Maple Leafs. It is m- mildly frightening that the Senators are actually doing things right. And you look at, you know, there's a lot of talk about their defensive group, but they have some guys on the rise. By the way, it is Jacob Bernard Docker's birthday today. So is it? Okay, birthday. good. It is. Um, How old is he? 20, and, 23, 22? Uh, Bernard Docker. I have his profile up here, actually. He is 22 today. So a happy birthday to him. But that's one player that is on the rise. You mentioned Jake Sanderson. And if you compare them with Thomas Shabbat, and I know that Jason York, uh, one of our pals on the show, is a big fan of Artem Zubes. And there was talk about him maybe getting extended. It's not – it may be still a couple years away, but it doesn't feel like it's as far away as it has been in years past. And I really like the forward group. Like we can we can talk a lot about the holes that they may have on defense, and we're still not quite sure what their goaltending is going to be. But that forward group is really good, and the guy that I keep circling back to, and I know it's a guy that you like because I think it's a perfect fit because it's something that they don't have a ton of. Um, if he can fall to them, there is Marco Casper. Oh, I, uh, I really do like Casper. I don't. If Marco Casper can fall, if Marco Casper falls to seven, that is a gift for the uh, for the Ottawa Senators. Um, you know the, and we can go through the whole thing if you want, leading up to Ottawa with Montreal and the first draft pick and all the you know questions around you know whether Shane Wright is going to be the guy. Can Yuri Slavkovsky stay uh, hang in there? Uh, there are some teams that have Logan Cooley in. At number one, um, what happens with New Jersey? Like, there's going to be some teams that kind of don't have to make a pick. Like the uh, the 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 two the two defensemen may end up not messing everything up, but making it interesting. Like David Juracek and uh, Simon Nemec um, are going to be two players that may just may just really throw a wrench into everything. You know, we're expecting some combination of Shane Wright, Yuri Slavkovsky, and Logan Cooley to be one, two, three. I wonder if someone like Juracek or Nemesh goes second. And maybe, you know, if Shane Wright falls, does he get... Like, if Shane Wright falls, does he get as far as Philadelphia? As crazy as that might sound, the Philadelphia Flyers will select fifth. Is there any chance that... And then they laugh all the way to the bank. That that happens? Well, for sure. Which is why I keep coming back to this idea that at the end of it, push comes to shove. As much as there are some scouts and some teams that don't like Shane Wright, I still think you look at the ceiling and you say this kid had, you know, one year less of development and maybe the smartest thing to do with Shane Wright... Uh, if you don't like him this year, you still look at the ceiling and what you could be getting here is you draft him and then you send him back to junior. Like if you're if you're the Montreal Canadiens, do you not entertain that idea? And then maybe like, okay, look, we'll send him back if you trade him to London or wherever. You know, a, a team that's going to be really competitive. I don't know. Like it's, I, I still think push to shove, they end up taking Shane Wright first overall, but I'm not as convinced of it. I'm not as convinced of it as I was, let's just say, two weeks ago 
after really making phone calls and, and talking to various teams. This one, this one's going to be a fascinating one. I, I don't know, you know, how if 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 Ottawa is going to have a shot at any of those top guys. Again, we'll see who falls. But I do think that Yurichek uh, and, and Nemish could be the two players that throw a wrench into all of this. Yeah, I, I if I, like if I'm Montreal, I, I'm I'm taking Shane Wright if I'm Montreal. I'm taking the center. I know that like Slavkovsky is super, super interesting to me just because mm-hmm. he's already a monster of a human being. And and like Sammy said yesterday, he has the track record of playing against men. However, um, the point that you made about Shane Wright not having that extra year of development, like that's a big deal. He still Shane Wright still had over 90 points this year and, and they didn't play last year, basically. Yes, you mm-hmm. skate. Yes, you do whatever. But... You know, whereas these other guys, they have that extra year of development, and Shane Wright was still this good. Like, if the you know, I've, there's been comparisons, and I, I hate, I hate anybody trying to compare it to Patrice Bergeron. But Jeff, if he is, if he is, ends up being Patrice Bergeron at the end of his career, then you made a mistake not taking him first overall, plain and simple. And I know we won't know that until years down the road, but it feels like there's a there's less of a risk with Shane Wright. Even though the ceiling is high, it does feel like there's less of a risk than there is with some of these other players. See, here's what I wonder about. So Ken Hughes is, of course, a first-time general manager. And if you're a first-time GM, okay, work with me on this one, Maddie. If you're a first-time general manager and you don't have a draft track record that you can lean on like look at all these picks that i nailed looked at all these you know uh elite elite level players that i've been able to to you know uh, develop in the uh, in the nhl and become part of you know championship teams etc it's tough to i mean i would think it's tough to go with a more controversial first overall pick like one it's great the Montreal, it's great for the habs that they have the first overall pick there's a ton of pressure here and the pressure that Kent Hughes is under to not mess the pick up is enormous. How, the question becomes, how safe a pick do you think Shane Wright is? And do you think that it's not necessarily just more about the pick, but the development as well? And Montreal is still not going to be in the winning business for a couple of seasons. So if you're Montreal and you're looking for a, a, a safe pick based on how you project their ceiling... Do you not take Shane Wright and say, Shane Wright is our first pick and he's going back to junior? Yes, 100%. Because like, like Slavkovsky there, is probably the only... something for him the, to win there. Yeah, and Slavkovsky is probably you know, the only player from this draft that's going to walk into the NHL next season. Yeah, and, I, and, and, the, and this, is, this is the thing, and, and I think we've finally gotten away from it as hockey fans... And that is, it's okay for players to go back to junior. They don't have to make the NHL at 18 years old. It's fine. Let them develop. Let them get the kinks out of their game. Let them really become an all-around player and dominate at a level before getting to that next step. And we've seen that so many times over the course of history where maybe some players would have done a lot better or had different careers if they had played in the minors longer or if they, they went that extra year of junior hey, and hey, they listen, developed, I'll, right? I'll, I'll give I'll give you a couple of I'll give you a couple of examples right out of the gate, and they're both Montreal. You don't think Alex Galchenyuk needed more development before he played in the NHL? You 100%. don't think that Jesperi Kotkinemi needed more development until he got a full time starting role with the Montreal Canadiens in the NHL? And that's just from the Habs. Yeah, but the the, the, the league is the, littered with them. The the league is absolutely littered with them. You know, at times the New Jersey Devils uh, have been accused of that rushing rushing prospects in, and we think of you know Ty Smith perhaps right away. Should Ty Smith have spent some some time in the American Hockey League before uh, before before joining the New Jersey Devils? Like the the history of the league is sort of littered with this question and this phenomenon. Oh, we've got a high we got a high first round pick. We got to get him in the lineup as quickly as possible. It's tough to hurt someone's development sending them back. Although Joe Sorella might say, hang on a second, I played a full year in the NHL, then I got sent back and to then junior went back. hockey. <laughs> I think Luca, Lucas Pisa did that too, didn't he? Yeah. 
Didn't yep. Lucas Pisa spend? Yeah, he, Lucas Pisa spent one year in the NHL and then got sent back to uh, to, to to junior hockey. But it's I don't know. Th- th- this year's a weird one. This year's a weird one. I think this one's going to be a wild draft. Um, I think that there's going to be some some wild picks. And I I'm a I'm a like I, I'm I'm with you. Like I I share the same intrigue about Marco Casper. And how high can he go? And is there any chance that Ottawa can get him? Because if he falls to that pick, you're Pierre Dorian. You sprint to the stage. You don't do a casual, confident walk. You sprint all the way up there. And you can't get Marco Casper's name out of your mouth uh, uh, quicker. You just get out there and just Marco Casper. You um, You go like Tim Murray style. Don't do any introduction, nothing. Oh man, I miss Tim Murray. Tim Murray was always the best. He would just I've never tell me Tim Murray's story about about uh, about draft picks. So, if you go back and you look at you know Tim Murray making picks, so this would have been the Philadelphia draft, and the Buffalo Sabers take Sam Reinhart, and every general manager is going up there, and he's you know he's thanking the host, and he's you know recognizing everybody at the draft party back at wherever. Tim Murray just all business just walks up and just says. Uh, from from Kootenay, Sam Reinhardt, and that's it. <laughs> and it was great. And everybody, I remember everybody that, at the draft in Philadelphia was like, well, that's kind of a breath of fresh air. It's kind of funny, too. And I ran into him at the uh, the top prospects game at the Meridian Center in Niagara uh, the following year. And I was like, listen, man, on behalf of everybody at the draft last year, that was great. Uh, we all got a big chuckle out of it. And he goes, well, what I want to do this year is what they won't let me do. And I said, what's that? He goes, I don't want to say anything. I just want to walk up on stage, point to the guy I want, and then walk off stage. <laughs> but they want me to actually say his name. It's like, I've already entered him into the system. It doesn't matter. But they're making me say his name. I just want to point at him and then leave. I like that. I miss Not great for TV, man. that's for sure. Whatever, it'd be hilarious though. He's just pointing at a guy. It's like you're, it's like you're, it's it's, it's like you're all you're, you're 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 picking teams at the schoolyard. You just point at who you want, and then you and then you walk off on the stage. It would be better if you just said point and said you, <laughs> you. <laughs> that would have been good. Now that pick turned into Jack Eichel, by the way. So the second overall pick, I'm sure, for marketing reasons, obviously, you want the general manager to uh, say the name. I'm sure the NHL prefers it that way too. But I digress. What were we talking about, Maddie? We were talking about we went from the Ottawa Senators draft or the Trent Mann and the work that he's done and That's their right. future in Ottawa to Shane Wright and what the Canadians do with the first pick to Tim Murray announcing picks. Pretty good. Yeah, I miss Tim Murray. Um, okay, here's the question for you because mm-hmm. I mentioned this when Ambrose was on in the, in the first hour. What was the on ice story for you? This season. And listen, maybe it was, you know, Tampa's quest for three. Maybe it was, you know, Colorado, you know, finally overcoming the second round and, you know, Colorado winning the Stanley Cup, etc. Um, I don't want to bias the jury here. For me, it was uh, Team Canada on the women's side, which I just thought were spectacular. Uh, what was the on-ice story for you, Maddie? That was, that was a very good one. Um, I'll tell you, for me, just because from a producer position not even a hockey fan or whatever but a producer position the gift that kept on giving all season was the vegas golden knights for whatever Mm. reason they with the injuries and the goaltending and the turmoil and the jack eichel trade and the it's just they it's just the expectations that go along with being a part of that organization they just kept on giving us more and more stuff. Between them and the Montreal Canadiens this year, I can safely say that there were no two teams that were mentioned on this show as much as those two. And I, I, I Vegas just on, the, yeah. yeah, yeah, go, go, go. I was going to say pause on Vegas for a second because I'm trying to figure out in my mind here, and maybe it was, maybe it was the Gerard Gallant firing, maybe it was the Marc-Andre Fleury trade, although I think it might have felt like this previous to that. What was it that pushed Vegas over the top that made them go from the most lovable underdog team in the NHL to the most hated team in the NHL, or one of the most hated teams in the NHL? 
Well, I think I think the Gallant one was what kind of it, it at least opened the door a little bit. But the flurry trade was the one that sent everybody into a tizzy because how do you do that to Mark Andre Fleury? He's got the big smile. He's the nicest guy in the world. You know, he was he 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 gave everything to that organization, and that's how you treat him by sending him to that barren wasteland in Chicago. How dare you? Um, but I actually think, and this may this is this may sound kind of weird. More, it's more so for the hatred that maybe other teams have for them, but. It was the immediate success. They just they just kept on winning. They just kept on putting together great regular seasons. Maybe but people, the playoff but, success. But, but hang on. But 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 people loved them all the way through that first season. Everybody sure. was right there. For, everyone was right there for that story right to the uh, to to the very end when they flamed out against the uh, Washington Capitals. Everyone still loved them. Trying it was more so when like it, when it changed. Like year three. Year three is when it kind of started. Because then it's like, well, they have their Twitter account and they're and and the Twitter account is very active and people may not like how they do things. And then it's the they go from, you know, these the the quote unquote lovable losers that nobody wanted, the 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 band of misfits, and then mm. they start booting guys out the door that were part of that just so that they could bring in Alex Petrangelo, so they can bring in um, Jack Eichel, so they're able to kick Mark Andre Fleury out the door, and and a guy who was very loved, like Nate Schmidt, like those were the kinds of moves, and it just that was it one. slowly crept to that, that point, yeah, and then the blow up was Mark Andre Fleury, and you know what, Jeff, good for the Vegas Golden Knights for giving us a villain because God knows the <laughs> NHL needs villains. Thank you very much. They really do. Like I, I think the, I think the, uh, the league is better when your, when your villain teams are really good, and I think we all expect, uh, provided that this team is healthy next season, that Vegas is going to be right in there amongst the top teams in the Western Conference. Yep. How can you not? And listen, you got a, you got a really good coach in Bruce Cassidy, Jack Eichel, Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, Jonathan Marchessault, Chandler Stevenson, Alex Petrangelo, Alec Martinez, Shea Theodore. This is a really, really you know, provided the goaltending can hold up and everybody can stay healthy, and that is a cross your fingers and and hope that Robin Leonard and Laurent Bossois, um who can uh, can can you know can can keep the hospital bracelet off. But this should be an excellent team again. This should be great. Should be a really good team. It should be scary good because we also expect Jack Eichel to be closer to one hundred percent than he was this year. I would hope and that's so. frightening. Him and Mark Stone and Pacioretty, like you mentioned, and Patrent. Like that's a that's a really good team. Yeah. It's excellent. Anything else uh, on the ice uh, as far as stories of the year go for you? I mean, Matthew sixty was certainly a big one. The emergence of the two kids in Detroit. The emergence of uh, Trevor Zegras and the phenomenon of Trevor Zegras. Um, and even though the Anaheim Ducks didn't have a season where they made the playoffs, it seemed as if there was, I don't want to see a, a, a changing in the style of play, but a sort of attitude change, uh, whether it was, you know, Jack Hughes and how he behaves or Trevor Zegras and how he behaves on the ice. It seems like the, uh, the mood is changing around the NHL, Matty. Yeah, it's become more fun. Like, I th- you know what, Jeff? Here's the big story for me. On the ice, the amount of goals that were scored and how many regular season games that we absolutely adored watching. Like that Toronto-Detroit 10-6 game. How many 8-6 games did we have? And and 7-5. And like that for me was was amazing. And then it carried over into the playoffs. I think that that we've now reached a point where it has become a very skilled game and there are you know certain styles that just maybe don't work the speed of the game is incredible i think it's come a long way but the amount of goals that were scored made this season very very enjoyable we had eight 100 point scorers we had you know i think it was 40 guys that played 40 or more games that averaged a point per game like that's a lot and and which i which makes that- which makes which makes by the way igor shesterkin's season even that much more remarkable for sure, especially because they didn't play a whole heck of a lot of defense in front of them a lot of the time. So, yeah, I, the, the game is filled with stars, and the stars are, are able to showcase the skill that they have, and that's been um, portrayed in the offense that we've seen on the ice. Uh, can Colorado do it again? 
If they find a goalie, yes. You can't do that again. Sorry. You can't do that again. Not without a goalie. That's going to be the big question. Uh, A number of thank yous, Maddie, and that starts with you. Uh, Every program should have a producer as dedicated as you. Um, So thanks, man. All season long. Uh, I mentioned Fridge, Premier Etoile, all of it. You're right there with them. Thanks so much for a wonderful first season, pal. Hey, and thank you because uh, I know you've been patient and uh, and we're both going to enjoy some time off this year because it's been a long grind. Um, but it's been, I will say this, it's been the most fun. We've had a it's lot of fun good. doing this show and it's been great. Uh, it really has. And uh, thanks to everyone who uh, who pitched in and certainly Maddie and Lance Kennedy, who's been with uh, with us here on the program from day one and who puts up with us for uh, puts up with it each and every day. So, Lance, thank you very much. Uh, and everyone who was part of it. I mean, Gord Selleck filled in uh, a bunch. Austin Mackey, Maria St. Oban, uh, Kyle Crabe, uh, J.R. Manitad, Derek Brandeo, Josh Santos, uh, Danielle Furtado. Uh, Tristan Marcagiani, Brett Armstrong, Dylan Brown, so many people to thank. Um, you know, should also thank uh, Greg Sansoni, certainly, uh, for the opportunity for this show. Dan Toman, program director uh, here at the radio station. And most of all, everyone who listened on a daily basis uh, and everybody who downloaded and interacted, whether it was criticism or whether it was praise, uh, I invite and welcome it all. Thanks for making season one a lot of fun from this chair. We'll see what season one brings. In the meantime, enjoy your off season. I will enjoy mine. Draft on the horizon, free agency, and more podcasts. We'll talk to you soon.